The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. I wanted to address what we are expecting today, which is very likely to be, although it could also come tomorrow, but expected no less this by the end of the week, a ban on refugees from Muslim-majority countries, of which there's a list of seven that have been provided by the Trump administration so far. This is what we know. Anything notable about those seven countries? Which, you know, well, as I said, Muslim-majority countries. Right, but are there any uh, omissions? Right, and so, so the thing is that these are what the what the Trump administration is deeming in order to try and deflect from the religious angle is higher risk countries, but also conspicuously absent from the list are Muslim majority countries where or just countries in the Middle East and the region where Donald Trump does business. Yeah. So. Saudi Arabia, a country that you know, has had some ties to terrorism. Let's not pretend it hasn't. Some very big terrorism in this country Mm -hmm. is not on the list because Trump, I believe, did eight business deals in Saudi Arabia during just the course of the campaign. Um, It's, you know, it's selective and beneficial only to him. It's selective, beneficial only to him, but basically falls through on at least part of it, partially falls through, and we don't know what else is to come on banning Muslims from entering the United States. Now, the scope of this is still unclear because it got pushed back. Donald Trump is making a trip today to the Department of Homeland Security, which is why, based on where he is signing the executive orders, which is during that visit, it's very likely that, that this is what he would will be doing. And they're referring to it as a temporary suspension um, where numbers of different numbers have floated around about 120 days as one, another you know, propose another week says could be indefinite. Um, and again, the one of the key components here is it is a de facto Muslim ban. And by phrasing it as having to do with, quote unquote, high risk countries, uh, it's very much the same uh, language that the Bush administration had used after 9-11 to set mm-hmm. up a database that yep. was also overwhelmingly um, comprising of Muslims. Muslim men specifically Muslim men in this country. Over the age of 16 from that that was and that list contained 25 countries of which 24 were Muslim majority. And anyone who tells you we're not on the path towards a Muslim registry has their eyes firmly shut. And it's uh, it, it's a it's a terrifying and un-American thing. And it, what worries me and saddens me more than just the actions that Donald Trump are taking here which are, are sick and horrible are the fact that I don't actually believe they're unpopular across the country. Right. And that is, it's it's the frog boiling in the water. Well, you, you turn you... the temperature up little by little, you never right. notice until you're cooked. Exactly. And, you know, you campaign on fear mm-hmm. um, and incite the worst instincts that people might have with respect to how we respond. And, uh, and all this stuff is, he's starting with the stuff that people won't feel immediately, or most people won't feel immediately. 
Um, you know, I, I, I've talked to you a little bit about this. There's uh, my parents have taken uh, have been uh, providing uh, housing to a Yazidi refugee for the last few months. A wonderful guy. Yazidis are a, a, minor, uh, a religious minority in Iraq that ISIS targeted mm-hmm. horribly. And uh, I mean, just absolute mass killings. Um, the 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 guy who's staying with my parents, he was a interpreter for the U.S. Army. So during the Iraq war, so he was able to get over here quickly. His wife, who was part of this persecuted minority, who was you know, married to this man who helped our U.S. troops, has not been able to get over as quickly. But she finally got her visa approved just a couple days ago, just two days, one day before Trump took office. She was getting ready. She was going back home, getting ready, packing, and co- ready to come here. This is a woman who is fleeing absolute horrors, has gone through all the processes for a very long time, the vetting, everything. And because of this order, the second Trump signs his name to it, she is barred for this country indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And there is no no one knows what the recourse is because uh, this goes back to what we were talking about policy earlier. There hasn't been a lot of thought put into any of this. No. And one of the, you know, rumors, although, quite frankly, uh, for you, calling it a rumor would be an understatement. I'd say one of the reports that's flowing around um floating around coming from the administration is that both Stephen Miller, uh, who is Donald Trump's, is Donald Trump's speechwriter. Um, Donald Steve, Trump writes his own speeches, And Steve Bannon, um, of course, formerly of Breitbart News, but but both he Miller... He also uh, used to work at uh, under that bridge um, where he was a giant troll and he'd ask <laughs> riddles to make you pass. And so <laughs> Miller and Bannon, both of whom have been big proponents of nationalism and pushed... Uh, a lot of what you've seen at the heart of Donald Trump's campaign and now, in this, as we see, clearly transcending to the presidency, are writing a policy on the fly. So that's how we're getting to where we are. Uh, you know, look, I have had conversations with so many of my Muslim friends, members of my family, who were genuinely afraid throughout the campaign cycle about what would it mean if Donald Trump is elected based on everything that he has campaigned upon. And it's, it's you know, it was frustrating because you have his campaign and certainly Corey Lewandowski uh, infamously said, you know, the problem with the media is that they take him literally not seriously. Right. Um, actually, clearly should have taken him both literally and seriously because Absolutely. he is sticking to his word very much so far. Because uh, a lot of people, I, I, you know, would try and comfort themselves in terms of when I'm talking about the Muslim community by saying, well, surely he will, you know, maybe this is just a campaign promise. And once he wins, then he'll back off of it. And they did during the transition period, they were signaling that they might because every time it would come up, are you going to ban Muslims? Are you going to come ban refugees? They're kind of like, you know, that was, the, that was part of the campaign. The campaign's over. They even said that at one point. But... But the campaign hasn't ended for Donald Trump. It hasn't ended. And so back to the same point you made about the border wall and the, you know, he's he was getting heat from the right immediately because the first few executive orders that he signed did not have anything to do with immigration, Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about, you know, the Muslim ban, refugee ban or the wall and sanctuary cities and other areas where he's cracked down upon immigration. He, he's the most reactionary president we've we've maybe ever had. I mean, Obama, the knock on him uh, oftentimes was that he was kind of cool, a little detached. He, you know, he really thought about the long game. He wasn't reacting to the sh- 
you know, yeah. the, the, the more micro shifts of the world, um, sometimes to a fault, oftentimes I think to our benefit, Trump is the exact opposite. He is the princess with the pea. The second there's the tiniest bit of discomfort and ripple, he freaks out and he now has the power of the U.S. presidency behind him when he does this, though. Right, which goes back to the idea of this man having his finger right at the nuclear codes. But oh, oh yeah, I mean, it was a laugh line that uh, that Hillary Clinton used to use about you know giving the nuclear codes to a man who can't control himself on Twitter. Right, um, who can be easily can bait baited him with on? A tweet. Bait him with a tweet. That's what it was. Um, uh, I don't From find my it as days f- on the Hillary campaign trail. I don't find it as funny anymore. No, it's, it's not funny. It seems more prescient and terrifying than it was, you know, a, a good old chuckling. Well, uh, that's part line. of the unfortunate problem too. Is a lot of people kept thinking, well, this won't actually happen. So for now, it's a clever little line that is now our our reality. joined now by Ben Geeman, who is a political reporter for National Journal and someone you can follow on Twitter as well, underscore, or Ben underscore Geeman. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Was was it a tough call to do the show this morning? I mean, I saw that Steve Bannon said, We know, should keep our mouths shut. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not in the press, so if the two of you can quiet <laughs> down, please, is, uh, yeah. I'd appreciate joining it. Joining us, uh, <laughs> you know, on behalf of our uh, pal Peter Ogburn. I thought about maybe we, I should just sit and do the whole show with like a piece of tape over my mouth. <laughs> I mean, I've suggested that to you many times, but uh, it, it had I less to do with a gag order. And, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah. That's, I'm talking socially, Sabrina. Yeah, as we said. It's, as it's we... called the Bannon now. You know, exactly. Oh, gosh. It's, uh, it's really the rage in Paris, I hear, mm. on the catwalks. Um, <laughs> One of the main topics of conversation has been the wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, Jonathan and I were talking this morning about how everyone knows this is a big pledge Donald Trump made, not just to build the wall, but specifically that Mexico would pay for it. So Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell were asked in Philadelphia about, you know, the plan to actually build the wall, namely the cost. And here's what they had to say. Roughly uh, 12 to 15. Yeah, 12 to 15 billion dollars. So we intend to address the the wall issue ourselves. And uh, the, the president can deal with his relations with other countries on that issue and, and other issues. So what they did not address is how do they actually pay for the wall, which we know that Mexico is not going to pay for. We pay for it. Yeah. So, you know, they did not address how do you do this without worsening the federal deficit. Um, so do how do you see them proceeding on this? I mean, Republicans have spent, of course, as we know, the last several years, not just decrying federal spending, and but also, you know, the pay for is the subject of pay for is for any pro, any, you know, new federal spending mm-hmm. has been at the heart of, you know, how they've, ta- you know, argued against the Obama administration. So what now? Well, I, I don't know if their zeal to, to sort of stick with that position that any new spending has to be paid for is, is going to be kind of <laughs> are they going to are they going to keep that passion up with uh, when it comes to Trump's priorities? I, I, I'm a little bit suspicious. Um, I don't think they care that much about the border wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you heard McConnell in that quote, you know, when he says, well, you know, the wall issue didn't doesn't sound like something he's necessarily going to, you know, it's, it's not one of his big priorities, but he's got so many other things he wants to do. But I think basically that they are going to cut the administration a check in an appropriations bill and mm-hmm. just sort of try to stop talking about the fact that 
this idea that we're going to get Mexico to pay for it is somewhere between vague and, and fantastical, right? They don't want to sort of, you know, thumb their nose at Trump and say, yeah, yeah, no, that's ridiculous. So I think they're going to sort of front the money in an appropriations bill and kind of worry about it later. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's a lot of money, but uh, in the grand schemes of a, of a big, you know, massive omnibus appropriations bill, it's not it's not the sort of thing that really sets the price tag. Right. I, I think you're actually touching on something here that's uh, one of the really interesting tensions we're seeing in Congress right now, which is who's setting policy? Yeah. Um, Donald Trump is not a policy guy. We were talking about this earlier. He didn't really have a policy shop during the campaign. There hasn't been one that's been established of any real verifiable strength yet. Uh, Paul Ryan, on the other hand, is Mr. Policy. Absolutely. You know, whether you agree right. with it or not, and I have my strong opinions, he is, his marker is, he yeah. is a policy wonk. Um, and there was a, a kind of an outstanding question going into the presidency, would Ryan and, uh, and McConnell be setting the policy and Trump going around doing his Trumpy things? But how do you, how do you when you are a Paul Ryan or a Mitch McConnell and the president of the United States, the head of your party, off the cuff says we're going to put a twenty percent tax on Mexican right. imports, we're going to you know build this wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. What is their how are they going to deal with that when it doesn't line up with what their priorities are? I I, I think it's a great question. Um, brief digression on Paul Ryan. Everyone talks just so much about, and I totally agree with you how he is a sort of policy guy. Why is that seen as such an exceptional thing? Like, is there a case to be made that if you're the head of a party, you kind of should understand policy? You, you cover Congress, right? <laughs> yeah. You, you should know why that's considered yeah. an exceptional thing. No, I feel like the, the, the grade inflation is just incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, yeah right, we're, right. we're all but, on a really, really bad curve here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I, th- I think I think it's an excellent. Uh, to your question, it's 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 a great point, and I think where you know I think their level of sort of aggression or maybe aggression is not the right word. The level I, th- I think what we're going to see is the extent to which we see Ryan and McConnell wanting to be able to uh, be the ones who sort of paint the finer strokes of the picture versus just sort of saying to Trump, "Here's some money, here you go." Depends on what their priorities are, right? So. To bring it back to the whole, you know, building the wall thing or issue, as as McConnell put it, that's mm. not a big priority for him. So he just sort of says, okay, you know, do your thing. Something like uh, industry and business tax policy is something that's hugely consequential and interesting mm-hmm. and important to, I think, the more uh, mainstream or establishment Republicans like McConnell and Ryan. And there, I think they're really going to have their ear to the ground on K Street and see what different types of lobbyists feel about this type of tax. I don't think you're going to see a lot of support on K Street for such, you know, the thing that Spicer seemed to just sort of mention almost <laughs> off the cuff yesterday. A 20% yeah. import tax to yeah. pay for the wall, which then he walked back because... Yeah. I, it's crazy. I, it, right, and now you can imagine their phones went off almost immediately. Absolutely. Um, Republicans, so- certainly within seconds, were themselves on Twitter just explaining how this made absolutely no sense and would yeah. not by any means something that they wouldn't support. Uh, sorry, I'm just confused. There are still lobbyists on K Street. <laughs> I thought the swamp had been drained. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's like, it's you know when like a lake disappears because of drought, there's like little puddles <laughs> here and there? Yes, I, think, this, I think it sort of looks like this, that. It's just puddles <laughs> of lobbyists. This is also always going to be a great moment to just remind people that Corey Lewandowski, who played such a significant role in Donald Trump's campaign. His campaign manager. He was his campaign manager and even when he was CNN. even when he was fired, continued to advise the campaign to its very last day. Can you use course, giant air quotes when you say fired, please? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> of course opened up um, his own lobbying firm steps away from the White House, which he insists is not profiting off of his connections to 
the president. But anyhow, I just feel like <laughs> that should cool. always be thrown in there because it's like yeah. he was massive on draining yeah, the swamp. Absolutely. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. We are joined, as I said, by Hadas Gold, who's media reporter for Politico. Someone you can also follow on Twitter, Hadas at, oh, sorry, underscore gold. Um, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. I love your top. It's really pretty. Thank you very much. Uh, <coughs> I, your top is beautiful, too. Thank you. <laughs> um, this morning, we uh-huh. are assessing... Week one of the Trump presidency, and the media angle here is so fascinating on so many fronts, and we'll try to get through as many as we can over the next half hour. But I actually, because we're doing a recap, it's, it, it began with a very angry statement by Sean Spicer, the pes, press secretary. Has it only been a week? In, in, <laughs> you know, in the briefing room last Saturday about crowd sizes because... When Size media, matters. When the media accurately reported that Donald Trump's crowd sizes were did not meet either of anybody um, who was in D.C. Right. saw that saw anybody that who was either eyes. of Obama's <laughs> um, crowd sizes in 20, uh, 2009 or twenty thirteen. Um, you know there was a, a, a just chastising of the media, uh, and it, it's come a full circle with Steve Bannon saying that we should just keep our mouths shut. So period. There you go. Anna <laughs> did not say period, but <laughs> that was that was that was Sean, that Spicer. Was Sean Spicer. We're we're mixing up our, our White well, House. Yes, aides. yes. So break this down uh, as a media reporter who's watching it all unfold. I would just like to say, first of all, when I became a media reporter, never in my wildest dreams did I think that my job would become like pretty much White House reporting. Because that's, <laughs> well, you know, I thought I'd be reporting on like this anchor got a new job and, and this news organization scored too many interviews with the White House. Now it's like my my job is somehow of paramount importance, which is fascinating. We have a media star as president. We have a media star as president. So Steve Bannon's interview with the New York Times, A, should not come as a surprise to anybody who knows Steve Bannon or knows how he operates or knows Breitbart. I mean, there has been reporting for a long time that they were planning to use the media as their opposition party. They don't have other candidates to run against. They don't have Hillary Clinton. Uh, They don't even have a democratically controlled Congress to Mm -hmm. have an opposition against. So they need like Donald Trump always works in deals and competition and negotiation. So he needs to have somebody to be up against. Mm -hmm. And for him, the best person is the media. Best person, best figure is the media because the media has been very critical of him. uh, And his uh, and as he has said himself, his supporters do not care. He could go into the middle of Fifth Avenue and I'm quoting the president and shoot somebody and nobody would care. And I actually believe there's some truth to that with respect to his one one thousand (laughs) percent. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the 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 people that says uh, people are okay with the server. Um, And, you know, I think I do want to point out the incredible irony in the fact that Steve Bannon 
did this whole screen, which was actually as part of, uh, it was supposed to be part of an interview, uh, Michael Gernbaum for the New York Times writing a big profile, Sean Spicer, who's just talking to him to get some quotes for this, turned it into a whole other story, that he was doing it in the New York Times. And he was saying, you're a failure and you guys should just shut up, but I'm going to give you this interview to the New York Times and you guys are going to put it on your front page and that's how everybody's going to hear about it. Yep. it. Well, I mean, so why, what did he mean by this, do you think? Did he actually mean the media should shut up? Uh, your your predecessor at uh, at Politico, uh, Dylan Byers, who's a dear friend of mine, tweeted out uh, yesterday, uh, it's possible what Bannon meant was media should rethink its approach to Trump before getting hysterical over every utterance. I texted him and said my first question to you was going to be, is that the stupidest thing anyone, he's ever said he or added, anyone has ever said? <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, so I do have to sort of agree with Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that people are truncating Bannon's quote because at the end he says, keep your mouth shut and just listen. And I think that people are like, oh, my God, he's a keeper mouth shut that we're living in China. Um, Not quite true. And I do think that Bannon has a point. And I think that uh, as much as you might get frustrated by by what he says about the media, and it's not always great to have the president see the entire media as uh, as the opposition to try to delegitimize everything that they do, unless it fits in with their narrative. There is a point in just kind of sitting back and sometimes just listening and like, hold on for a second, because when we go crazy with our heads cut off, that leads to more people distrusting us. That leads to more instances where the White House can say, mm-hmm. look at this media. Horrible. And actually, it comes back to one of the challenges the media faced in covering the campaign where I remember having a conversation with um, some of the Clinton officials who were charged from Brooklyn uh, with having to compile the opposition and get it out there with the opposition research they had against Donald Trump um, and try and break through. And I remember one of the challenges they outlined, which I feel like mirrored not from this perspective that we're trying to be the opposition, but just how how do you how does the news even stick if they're every any given hour with someone like Donald Trump? He says something outrageous. So then now that's the big story. Then two hours later, someone on his staff has said something. Now we have shifted our attention there. All the while, there's suddenly revelations about his business dealings. Now there's a tape. I mean, really, in any given day, you could have you could be firing on all cylinders. Sensory overload. Well, so the question becomes, and it's not because you're trying to attack someone. It's not because you are trying. Certainly the media is just reporting the the truth and, Mm -hmm. and fact. And now we have this person who is in the most powerful position in this country so it's about accountability um how do you how do you think the media is going to have to f- navigate this terrain where he's going to continue and tweet and he's going to continue and make right. an outrageous statement and, and then there are an various, unsecured android right. device and then there, that's connected to a Gmail and then there account. are very serious issues also that right. will need to continue and be scrutinized such as him expanding his business empire and profiting off of the presidency, which is a running theme, um, or you know the 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 idea that he's banning refugees and and immigrants from a list of countries, but conspicuously absent are what you could say are high risk countries, but th- those are where he those are countries where he does business. I mean, these are important issues, but no one's going to pay attention, right? If you have just right, 24 because, hour because breaking news the, yeah, by Donald Trump because we got their shiny objects and and the you know cable networks and the news always wants to go to whatever's new and whatever's exciting mm-hmm. um i i can't tell you that eventually things will calm down and we'll figure out the pattern and how we'll figure out how to do this i don't think that's going to happen because as we've seen the media has had 2 years with this guy and still didn't exactly like catch on the, the problem is what do you what do you pick not to cover 
What 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 do you deem that's actually less the, that's important? That's like a, what the root heart of my question may be is what do you choose not to cover, um, or how do you break through to readers? Who are just starting to tune it out because it's information overload. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not an editor, thank God. <laughs> but, uh, I would, I mean, I think that everybody has to sort of make that decision on their own of what what's most important to their readers, what's most important. Because the Politico reader, or at least who we think is a Politico reader, is different than who the Guardian reader is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're all speaking to a, a slightly different audience. You guys are more international. Uh, obviously, have like a UK, coming from the UK, we have a very like inside Washington mm-hmm. Uh so you have to think about in, in that terms. And y- you really do have to kind of train your resources because everybody only has limited resources on certain things. You're not going to be able to cover everything. It's also really hard with this administration to figure out, as we've seen, what's real and what's just a tweet. Because whereas everybody was like, oh, the voter registration like fraud investigation is just going to be a tweet. And then it turned into like now they're about to start an executive order, but we still don't know like at, at what, what is going to be real mm-hmm. and what's not going to be real. Right. So that's, I mean, that's a huge question to try to figure out. And honestly, I don't even think his staff knows because he's said himself, he's very open about this. He loves to have the element of surprise. Uh, he doesn't want people to know what he's doing until he actually does it. So we're just going to have to go along for the ride. How exciting. We're joined by my friend Jared Rizzi, the White House it's correspondent for Sirius XM. Great to have you. You can follow him on Twitter at Jared Rizzi. And we're going to get into week one of the Trump White House. But breaking news. This of the is White a House. Bill Press show breaking news update. We're wow. so fancy what a, what now. What a fun little uh, audio clip. Donald Trump there. is up and tweeting this morning. <laughs> 22 minutes ago, the first tweet what? came in. <laughs> Look forward to seeing final results of vote stand. Greg Phillips and crew say at least 3 million votes were illegal. We must do better. So we'll get into that in a second. The second tweet, just uh, eight minutes later, six minutes later, excuse me, Mexico has taken advantage of the U.S. for long enough. Massive trade deficits and little help on the very weak border must change now, in all caps. There you go. Two tweets from Donald Trump this morning. It's it's happening. (laughs) It's all happening, Jared. uh, You're a White House correspondent for SiriusXM and... Um, suffice it to say, this you you know spent the last uh, well at least six years covering the Obama administration. That's about when you started, right? Six years ago, because you ago. and I were both pool buddies. <laughs> that's um, right. That's this how we got to know each other. Did you wear your floaties together? <laughs> Press pool buddies. Mm-hmm. Still um, floaties. Yeah. <laughs> professionally stalked uh, the president, and I take it you're probably having a bit of a different time with the uh, the new president, especially when you wake up to tweets like these. It is extremely convenient that the the spread of, of margin that he's talking about here, three million, is exactly the amount that he's lost the popular vote. By. Stunning. Yeah. Shocking. It's 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 the equivalent of <laughs> saying, say. Oh, your new new boyfriend's a nine? Well, my new girlfriend is a ten. Yeah. So uh we're good. <laughs> we're great. Uh we're gonna totally do this moving forward. So so to take a step back quickly, because I until Two minutes ago, did not know who Greg Phillips or Vote Stand was. You, you had that luxury. Yes, it's, <laughs> I, it was a simpler time. Um, can you can you fill us in on what the hell he's talking? This about is here? an Infowars source who has tweeted something with absolutely no supporting data behind it. Their Politifact has said that they have never seen any of the background. There's just not. There's no cross tabs. There's no tabs. There's no crosses. Right, I mean, there's there's nothing here. Going through the voter rolls is an incredibly arduous task. I'm sure Greg Phillips. 
Phillips yes. and, Whoever his, he may be. and his app, Vote Stand, <laughs> are going to do what 50 secretaries of state said was not possible yeah. right. and find three million votes. And, you know, the thing about it is even Paul Ryan repeated just the day before yesterday, Speaker of the House, um, and who until recently man was of the true highest, courage well until recently was the highest ranking Republican in the country but that there is zero evidence of widespread voter fraud in the election certainly of three million votes I've seen no evidence to that effect and I've made that very very clear there are four uh, uh, reported cases of voter fraud uh, confirmed cases of voter fraud four. In, in 2016 four, four trillion. No, four. Four. Yeah, just, just four. Oh, okay. And, uh, and uh, it's just take some zeros off there. Yeah. And three of them were committed by Donald Trump voters. Of course. Well, that's not a represent. You know, Jonathan, <laughs> that is unfair. We it's do not a, have a representative. No, I, I better true the vote. That's yeah. So this is the kind of the kind of background for Greg Phillips at Sorry, all. You guys are like made for each other. I was <laughs> like watching this unfold. We're just no, we're old friends now. Yes. Uh, yeah. what, what's it's been a solid five minutes. This is the the, the dovetail the puns, of the this of this lie into the truth need that his heart has yeah. is so perfectly fit. It is so so snug. He even says without having without having any information, without having ordered the investigation or signing the executive order starting the investigation. Donald Trump, the president, already knows that none of these votes were for Hillary Clinton. They were all for him. him. And now he's over the top and he won the popular vote. And why does anyone need to check this? Well, that's the thing. It seems as though he ordered the investigation at first. There's two aspects here, which we touched upon earlier. One is because he's extremely sensitive and, and he's reactionary and everyone was reporting about how there's no evidence of this and, and bringing the point, uh, well, if it's true, why why don't you investigate? And so, lo and behold, now Donald Trump is like, fine, you know, but right. we're going to investigate and, and I don't know that anyone trusts the administration to carry out that. another question is an investigation that wouldn't somehow lend some kind of credence to his claim, but also the biggest implication here that Jonathan and I are talking about is, you know, we, Republicans have certainly um, tried to infringe upon access to the ballot box by passing all of these extremely restrictive voter ID laws um, that especially target minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, people whose votes they have lost and not been able to. The elderly, the poor. Elderly, the poor. And just people who certainly in many cases, I mean, we this is just I was actually out reporting. I remember in North Carolina just the week before the election where um, I think there was one area where I'm the the numbers I'm paraphrasing slightly. But let's say there were 110 voters who had been purged in one county from the rolls. I think 92 of them were. Uh, black Democrats. So, so seems fair. So, well, so, um, so I don't think there's any uh, doubt in anyone's mind about um, what this, you know, in terms of what this is really about, as well as what to expect from Donald Trump. What I have quite, what question I have for you as a person covering the White House is attending these briefings because the voter fraud issue was a big subject of the briefing with Sean Spicer, no. the the second official briefing on Tuesday. Is he would not reject of you know, as a spokesperson for the right. White House, Donald Trump's claim. At the same time, he wouldn't state that it was true because he knows that that's false. And he had just stood up the day before saying, I would not lie to you. Right. How are you navigating what is true and what is not from this White House sitting in that briefing room? Well, it's it's very clear. I think the shift that people should be watching for 
is listen to how often the press secretary says the president believes mm. this is the new term of art. It used to be, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get to that or, you know, that's the top priority. There are all these terms of or, I uh, defer you to this department. Uh, yeah, there are all <laughs> sorts of uh, Goyle call on Goyle. There are thousands <laughs> of ways to distract people in the White House press briefing room. This is now one of them to talk about what the president believes instead of talking about facts. There have been a lot of changes and I could talk I could geek out for like an hour with you about all the little things or about like little things like um reporters who are never been called on who spend like the subsequent six hours calling people on speakerphone in the briefing room because they're mm. so excited they got a quite I mean this is this is who's being called on in week one. Um, so there's there's a lot there. But the, the most important thing you asked about how do you find truth? I mean, access journalism at the White House is essentially dead. Spicer has killed it. There's no reason to expect that the uh, that the message from the administration is going to mirror what we would have traditionally expected is the, the veracity level of the official statement from the, the White House. They've cut off the phones. The main access line is dead. The bounce back from all these departments. I mean, they they're 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 building a wall. It's around the White House press room. Right. It's I mean, this the, the job of the White House press secretary traditionally has been to be the press's advocate in the White House. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess you don't think that's what's happening right now. No, this is he's parrying. He's he's it's 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 a sword fight and he's constantly parrying. So he is isn't the president believes essentially the alternative facts to which Kellyanne Conway (laughs) referred in her interview with Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. Yeah, I mean, this is a world in which, you know, we are we are having separate facts. We have finally come full circle around that that great senatorial quote. And now you can, in fact, have Mm -hmm. your own facts. You can have them. And in fact, for many partisans who look at a photo of what is it, one in seven Trump voters look at the photo of the Trump inauguration and say, yeah, that's got more people in it. I mean, that's the world we live in where people are literally taking what's staring them in the face and not will. I mean, and these are the easy things to disprove. Yeah, the ones where you look at them. Right. <laughs> uh, so so what do you do? How do you sit in the press room and deal with a press secretary who's, and I'm allowed to say this, maybe you aren't, going to lie to you? Well, I mean— Not going to. Has been lying to you. Well, I think we expect a certain amount of varnish— from any spokesman in this any varnish. No, no, no. I, I'm just saying, I, I'm a firm believer, and this this goes to. There was actually a piece in the in the Guardian that was talking about you know extreme times and extreme measures. I think extreme times call for normal measures. I think we go in there and we say we're going to still do our job. We're going to still do it as normally as our can as we can. The the truth, and this may sound like naivete, but the truth I believe will shine through lies will collapse under their own weight it's it's like day seven and we're already seeing these a lot of these lies Mm -hmm. totally collapse it's not like look the people who supported this candidate and now this president are maybe never going to we're never going to flip them we're never going to say yeah i did order the code red that's never going to happen it's the sabrina what sabrina brought up before the shoot him in the street uh, yeah and just the you know the majority trump supporters who said in a survey he should be allowed to use private email finally <laughs> finally yes. so, so but, but actually i think there's some truth to what you're saying because there was also a piece i remember in um political magazine i think it was just a few days back but it was jack schaefer is the is the um writer's name but saying 
you know, there's been some calls for boycotts mm-hmm. and such, but it, it's like they're, they'll continue to operate with the Breitbarts of the world and the Infowars and mm-hmm. try and mainstream conspiracy theorists. So it's not, it doesn't serve the press They've well. Done it. And they're already doing it. So it certainly doesn't serve the press well to just say, well, we're not going to put up with this. Therefore, we're not going to show up and we're not going to ask the right hard questions you should be asking. In fact, you should continue to ask your questions as you are meant to do and keep pursuing the truth as relentlessly as you can and reporting it and call out as false and as a lie. I also think what is factually untrue. I think it's fascinating to find out, you know, there are a lot of different shapes a lie can take. And I find it useful to see and to experience and to hear and to report to my audience and to Mm -hmm. to the people who listen, uh, you know, here's the lie that, or here's the the statement from the White House, and you can decide whether or not it's true or false. But here's more importantly, look at the shape of this. Look at the, the, the painting that they have painted so beautifully for you. Isn't it clear to anyone who looks at this and says, yes, there are exactly three million fraudulent votes, and now I have the, 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 the margin of victory in the popular mm-hmm. vote. Like, like you, you get that, right? Like, that, the lie actually informs. And so I think that there is utility in conveying that through the normal methods to people and letting them be like, oh, wow, yeah, this is, this is really deranged. You're, you're placing a lot of faith in the attention to detail and the trust the American people have in, uh, you know, the better angels of folks. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.